Ecclesiastes chapter 8 this morning. Right after we got Psalms, Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Verse number 12, I want to look down through the end of the chapter here this morning and I want to try and put, well, let, let me read and I'll get into this. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there be just men, unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men, to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Then I committed mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry, for that shall abide with him uh, of his labor the days of his life which God giveth him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that that neither day nor night see asleep of his eyes, then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yet farther, though a wise man think to know it, yet he shall not be able to find it. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I, I ask you for your help this morning, your blessing. I pray you control what I say and how I say it. Help me to stay true to your word. Please, Lord, help me to make the point of what's driving it clear. Use it to strengthen us and to change us, Lord. Help me to communicate it effectively. Lord, please bless and work. Lord, I pray that there's anyone here that has never truly been converted. Lord, I pray for that, that conviction and that drawing that perhaps... Even this morning, they repent and place their faith in Christ that they would truly see that need. Lord, please guide in this and please work, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There are times in life, um, there are seasons we can go through in life when we really need direction. When we really need strong, good advice. There are times that we see things that we don't understand. Things that we don't agree with. It's many times that it's in these situations that we've, we have got to be able to get a hold of strong biblical advice and how to respond before making a really wrong decision with your life. The truth is we need advice for our life. There are many things that can get us discouraged, that can get us distracted. And he's dealing with, Solomon is dealing with in this section that there are certain things that take place that we can look upon 
and boy, they can, we can find such discouragement in it and wondering, well, I'm, I just want to quit. I just don't, I'm just done with this. But what he does is he, he is showing you, he's given several principles here on how to respond in those situations. He's given advice saying, listen, this is how to respond. This is what to look for. Boy, these principles will help us in so many areas of our life. It's so important. All of us at times have looked on others and maybe someone who has turned from the Lord, uh, turned from the Lord and maybe even seemed to be succeeding at it and wondering what's taking place. At other times, looking at those who are trying to serve God and do what they can, but just struggling over and over and over and wondering why. I remember I was watching a, uh, a debate with an atheist and I can't remember who... I, I wanted to try and find the clip, and I could not. I was, I was looking for it uh, yesterday and could not locate it, but it dealt with, and that was one of the arguments of the atheist. Look at me, I'm succeeding, I am well off, I am wealthy, and, um, and many people look at those that have turned from the Lord or turned towards wickedness, and they appear to be succeeding. Or we have different injustices that, we, that, that appear to take place or that do take place. And they discourage us. We don't understand. We get discouraged thinking, but this, what's the use? It can affect how we approach life when we see these things taking place or we have these events happen to us in life. It's so important, the decisions and the attitude we make with those decisions can also be discouraging when we don't know how to handle things that we don't understand. Again, multitudes, because of these things, grow discouraged and quit. We need to take a look at this, this advice for what to do when these different things in life hit us. Whether it's in a personal circumstance or just looking at the world in general. Like what's taking place before our eyes. I mean, month after month, year after year, just the last couple of years, as, as it certainly looks like things are setting up for the Lord's return. But it's important in how we approach it as Christians, or when dealing with just personal events that take place in our life. And so let's look at some of the principles here that are, that are given to us in God's Word from Solomon. Remember, who was the outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, was the wisest man who had ever lived. God had had given to him this incredible measure of wisdom due to a request he had made and just trying to do God's will, wanting to serve God right. And God granted to him this extraordinary amount of wisdom. Now, God had another purpose for it as well that he would use because Solomon would be a man that would turn from the Lord and then would come back to the Lord in latter years and he is looking back on his life right now uh, with even a measure of regret, knowing, listen, what have I done? But now he's trying to give advice out. Even when he starts the book out, he says, listen, I'm coming to you not as king. He was king. I'm coming to you as a preacher. These are things you, you need to heed, you need to listen. So he gives, in this segment here, as he was closing out this chapter, he gives key principles. He's giving great advice for life. Look at 12 and 13. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. The first piece of advice we're going to look at right here in, this, in, in these two verses is this. When it comes to your life, 
you have to consider eternity in how you live your life. Let me try and explain that. You know, he is dealing with a man here, with a situation here, where somebody who is, doesn't care about God, doesn't follow God, and, and um, over and over and over, yet his days appear to be prolonged. A man who even seems to get emboldened because of sin, because God doesn't judge immediately. This man who does evil continually, yet his days are prolonged. He is living well, he has good health. And Solomon, though, when he responds, he's saying, listen, what you have to remember is this, is you have to consider the end. You have to consider eternity. Take the one in the example given who does not fear God, the unconverted man. Take him at his best. The one who does turn from God and for whatever reason, due to circumstances, just in living life, he happens to prosper greatly. Yet he has no regard for the Creator whatsoever. He has strong health. He has power and influence. Yet the truth is, when you consider eternity, to use Solomon's terminology, which he's being kind with, it shall not be well with him when it's all said and done. Doesn't matter how great and how successful he is now, when you put it in light of eternity, the end of that will not be well. It will be horrible. You can take the child of God, the one who is fearing God, the one who is serving God at his point, who at his very worst in this life. And think of that end, of how amazing it's going to be. Did not David, think of David, Solomon's father. I, I, I believe when Solomon had this text in mind that he must have had Psalm 73 in mind. For time's sake, I'm not going to turn there because there are several things I want to do with this message this morning. But that's where David, when he was looking at the, at, at the wicked and, and their prosperity, and it was discouraging him and discouraging him and discouraging him. But remember what he says, you get down to verse 16 or 17 of that chapter. He says, he says but uh, when I went unto the house of the Lord, then I considered the end or uh, something along those lines. I can't quite quote it right now. He said, but no, what I did was I put what was taking place in light of eternity. I know what end is coming for them? That they're the ones that need to repent. My end is grand and it's great. I know what's going to happen to me. There is nothing, listen to me, there is nothing in this world worth exchanging a life that you are living for God or your fear of God over. Nothing. You have to keep eternity in mind as you live this life. There's nothing worth, there, there's nothing greater than serving God. Not wealth, not pleasure, nothing. Soon this will all be over with. This life is as a vapor. Appeareth while and vanisheth away. Soon your life will be over with. You make decisions based on eternity. Let me give biblical examples of those who did not. That rich man in hell, Luke chapter 16. He made decisions based on the here and now. And the very, he, he was well, he was prosperous. We had Lazarus who sat out his gate begging and appeared. Look at this, that you would want to be the rich man. Yet, I assure you, the moment he entered eternity, you know what that rich man wanted? He wanted to come back and be the beggar. Just like that. He never considered the end of the matter. Or the rich man and his barns. 
Oh, man, my life is so good. I'm going to retire. I'm just going to build barns and bigger barns. And, and I'm just going to sit back. Ah, I'm done. And what did the Lord call that man? You fool. This night. Here's what he forgot about. He took care of the physical. But the Lord said this. This night, your soul will be required of thee. He did not make decisions in life with eternity in mind. Demas, having forsaken Paul, having loved this present world. And make no mistake, traveling with Paul, as we're going through the book of Acts, would be difficult. The guy was nonstop. The guy was so nonstop. I mean, prisons and beatings. And if you're going to travel with Paul, it's serious stuff. But Demas made decisions not in light of eternity. Judas Iscariot made decisions not in light of eternity. Solomon himself made decisions not in light of eternity. Let's compare that to a man who did. The Apostle Paul. I mean, that's his, when you examine his Christian life, there's nobody signing up to live his life, is there? I mean, it's, it's brutal. I mean, he has about a 10-year growth time where he has, he has a, a couple of years in the, in the deserts of Arabia with the Lord, and then he was working in the Tarsus area, and, and there's a 10-year where not much is really taking place. But then when Barnabas goes to get him and brings him to Antioch, whoo, things get serious for the rest of his days. Beatings, stonings, imprisonment, shipwreck. At times having a base, having nothing. Yet do you think Paul right now and eternally would change one thing he did? No. Not at all. Do you think the rich man would? Oh, we already know he would. He made that clear. You have to consider eternity in how you live your life. Now verse 14, I'm going to spend some time here. There's about four of these principles all together I'm going to give. This one I want to tie in with something I covered a couple of months ago in the book of Romans. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. And again, there be wicked men uh, to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also was vanity. You also, next principle, you have to consider eternity when it comes to perceived injustice. All right? Many times we see an injustice take place with regards maybe to being a Christian or events in our life in general, and we go weary and discouraged. Solomon saw this happening all the time, and he saw the vanity of it. You see, we only see the surface. God sees it all. Don't ever forget that. God is in control. By the way, when it comes to the, the truth is in life, no one ever gets away with anything before God. No one. Ever. God's timing is not our timing. His ways are higher than our ways. God does reward and He does punish perfectly. He might not do it on our time frame, but it will happen. 
I've seen God do this over and over and over at times. I, I remember when, uh, um, and well, actually I can't remember even the event. It happened right before I arrived in PNG, but it was fresh. And, and, and when I arrived, just thinking, why the Lord allowed it to happen? Brother James Abel, who at the time, that was the man that I was training for the work in, in the village of Sohon in, in New Guinea. And um, anyhow, the, some of the village men had come there from the Catholic Church and they set his house on fire. Him, his wife, he had only the one daughter at the time were inside. This is a bush house. They go up like that. They settled on fire with him in it. Him breaking out the little window they had and jumping out and him, his wife, his daughter were not hurt. But the few books he had collected were gone. You know, all, everything that they had was, was burned up in that fire. You say, Lord, here's a man that is trying to serve you and trying to serve you and you allow this to happen? You have to keep eternity in mind. By the way, amazingly enough, all the men involved in that, they were never arrested for anything. All were dead. I, think it was either, I can't remember now, my memory's failing me. It was either 12, I think it was one year, might have been two years, one or two years, every single one who was young, we're not dealing with somebody old, died. Every single one. Eternity will always bring perfect justice. But let me cover an angle that I think is very important to this. Romans chapter 2. We're in the book of Romans on Wednesday night, and several months ago we were in this, this section of this text. And I want to bring out an important aspect of this, because it applies when there's perceived injustice. And how we respond to it. Just two verses I want to look at in Romans chapter 2. Verse number 3 and 4. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things... And doest the same thing, shalt thou escape the, judge, the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the, rich, the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Interesting verse right here. Contextually, it's just dealing with Paul covering those that all men will be judged. He's been doing that since halfway through chapter 1. He's still doing that. It doesn't matter that, that you will stand before God. But he covers a group of people here that, to use his terminology, despise the goodness of God. Let me define the terms that are in verse 4. Despise means this. It's important. To think down on. To underestimate someone or something. To underestimate the value or to treat with contempt. It means to grossly underestimate the value. To grossly underestimate the significance. It is a failure to assess true worth. And so it says, despise God's goodness. We're going to look at this in relation to justice. The word goodness in the verse, this is the definition. The benefits God bestows on all men. The word has the meaning of kindness, generous, merciful. The truth is, God has an innate sense of goodness and mercy toward mankind. 
He is merciful, tender-hearted, full of compassion. There's goodness, there's kindness from God upon this earth. The word forbearance, the definition is this. It means to hold back. In other, in other words, rather than destroying every person the moment he or she sins, God graciously holds back. There's a measure of forbearance. And it says, so there are those who despise God's goodness, the abuse of God's goodness. To understand what he's talking about, we need to understand justice. Back in the Garden even, what was the wages of sin? What was Adam told would happen if he sinned? Death. Death, then, from the Creator, is justice for sin. That's true. Do you understand that? That means any time you sin, a just act from the Creator would be to take your life. That's justice. But we are so used to God's mercy and God's goodness that we take it for granted. We abuse it. Even, even when God gave the law, you see His mercy. Because when the law is given of the 400 or so directives or commands that are given, there was only about 30 that God called for the death penalty. And even in those, the majority of the time, you still see mercy and goodness extended. But justice would have required death. But many despise God's goodness. Many greatly underestimate. Let's put the definition to it. Many greatly underestimate the value of God's goodness in their life. They fail to see its true worth. How much you desperately need every single day God's goodness in your life. And how present it truly is. Right now, all 7 billion people on this planet, all are experiencing God's goodness. Think about that. You say, I don't agree with that. You, let me continue. That's because you despise the goodness of God. You undervalue and you don't understand God's goodness. You have to start with the premise that justice for sin is death. You don't get to define that. The Creator does. That is true justice. It is an absolute God makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He provides warmth to the sun and air to breathe. He provides water to keep us healthy. The ability for us to grow food on this planet in abundance. But God's goodness gets abused over and over and over. And people don't even see it. I mean, Christians are guilty of this. We wonder, why does God allow all the apostate that is coming in to churches? What about all this progressive movement, what we're seeing take place in this, this, this like we're on fast forward in, in relation to wickedness right now on this earth? I mean, men claiming they can be women and it's all right. As if it's your own truth. No, it's not. It's error. It's wrong. But we have this, such wickedness abounding. I mean, the blindness... 
I mean, the toleration of every form of evil, and the only thing that doesn't seem to want to be tolerated is God. So how can the Creator let this go on? How can this take place? Why does not the righteousness of heaven consume them? In a sense, this is what Solomon is asking. Why do the wicked prosper? Why are they prolonged? Romans 9 says this, that how God has dealt with vessels fitted unto destruction with much long-suffering. It is of God's goodness, and you need it just as much as any other person on this planet. And the goodness of God is designed. It is there to lead men to repentance. But it is abused. Let me quote from a commentator whose words are much better than mine. As he was describing the goodness of God. It is designed to cause them to turn from sin to him. It is designed to cause men who are filled with evil to long for God and God's goodness. It is designed to make them thankful that he didn't slay them and turn to him in gratitude. If you realize what you deserve every day you live, every breath you take, you'll thank God he didn't strike you down. You see, God's goodness and God's patience calls us to repentance, to thankful, grateful hearts. Yet we so often fail to do just that. We tend to expect it of God and demand it of God. You don't understand justice in what you deserve. You are so used to the goodness of God in your life that you fail to see what justice is all about. The truth is, if you have ever, ever had the thought, which probably we all have, have thought that God is unjust in an action, you are simply proving how common it is to despise the goodness of God. People load up on God's goodness and they don't even see it. And they get mad at the Creator. You can think of all the arguments so many people give. Well, why does God allow this? What did He do? They don't understand justice and they don't understand what they deserve. People on this earth right now taking pleasure in life. They enjoy the relationships, husband and wife, parent, child, friends, family. They enjoy the beauty of creation. They plant their gardens. They have the rain. They have the sun. Then all of a sudden, something bad happens. The world is changed. Something bad takes place, and so often the conclusion is jumped to, God is unjust. The spouse gets sick. You lose your job. All of a sudden, life gets rough or a horrible crime takes place. And and so often, so many people jump to the conclusion and they blame God. Now, you don't understand justice or the goodness of God. We tell God, that's not fair. Why did you do that? How could you take that from me? God, this isn't right. It causes you to begin to question God's love and God's actions. 
Does this not happen all the time? Listen to me. It comes down to this. Despising the goodness of God. Taking it for granted all those good years. And how good he's been. That when an act that is just occurs, we don't recognize it as just. We see it as abuse. We see it as unfair. So how is it that people question God's goodness when something bad happens? Let me try and cover some of the thinking behind this. When we view events, whether it's both good and bad in life, so often we view both events from a carnal perspective and not a biblical perspective. We blame God, but we forget about justice. We blame God, but we forget about mercy. We blame God, but we forget about goodness. We define how God should act. We feel God is unjust simply because, listen to me, we are comparing His justice with His mercy and not mercy to law. That's a failure. You're thinking wrong. Justice is justice. There's no changing it. It is justice. You compare mercy with law. Let me give examples of what I'm talking about. We read in the book of Genesis how God had spared Lot and his family from the destruction that was coming. But what happened to his life, which is the one woman we are told to remember? They're out of the city and the, and the instruction was clear. You don't look back. And they're, they're fleeing out. And what happens to Lot's wife? She turns, she looks back, and know what occurs? Justice. Immediately, justice hits. Exactly what God said would happen, happened. Many times people read it, they said, oh, all she did was look back. No, you don't understand justice. You, you failed to recognize the goodness of God all along. All that's been taking place under God's mercy and God's goodness. And you were so used to it, you were despising it, you were undervaluing it when justice occurred. You failed to see it as justice and you see it as unfair. The truth is with the same thing in the account in the Word of God with Elijah, with the little kids and the bear comes out, killing them. Oh, that's not just. Oh, it is. You really don't grasp what you actually deserve from the Creator. You overestimate your own goodness and you underestimate God's goodness. When Uzzah touched the, touched the ark when it was falling and God took his life, Ananias and Sapphira, there was a great example of this um, that I watched several years ago. It was shocking. It was an interview with a woman in Gary, Indiana. It, the video went viral. Uh, it was by a major network, and it went viral just because it was so shocking to look at. Now, as I describe this to you, I want you to understand, this is what the woman really believed. It wasn't a show, all right? This was a woman living in Gary, Indiana. She had, I don't remember the amount of kids. She had a lot of kids. I think it was 9, 10, 11 kids. A lot. She had been on welfare since, uh, maybe even before, number one, just living on welfare. Something had happened, that's why the interview occurred, where she lost her welfare. 
And so she's being interviewed about this, and she is yelling. She is so mad, and she makes this statement. Look it up. I'm not kidding. She says, someone needs to take care of my kids. It's not me. It's shocking. Listen to me. She was abusing, despising the goodness of America. So that when justice occurred, she failed to see it as just. We do it with God all the time. We're so accustomed to his goodness in our life that we fail to see when something just does occur. Lord, thank you for all the times that you have been good in me. That goodness is designed. See, the the way God put this in motion for our sinful hearts is that when we do see justice occur, it is to remind us of God's goodness to lead us to repentance. I remember studying this in Romans in my office. Dropping down and just saying, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. We see events like this that I've talked about. We compare justice to mercy, but not mercy with law. Again, we're so used to God's goodness that when justice happens, we think it's unfair. Listen, be so thankful and grateful for the goodness of God in your life that you are experiencing. That leads you to repentance, because it does. It can change how you view life when you walk out of this auditorium this morning. If you would just begin to recognize the true goodness of God in your life. Instead of blaming God when justice occurs. Because we, over, we do overvalue ourselves. Be thankful you're not getting what you deserve. I want you to think for a moment. Let's say God in heaven decides that as of November 1st, there will be no more mercy, goodness, or grace. I will only act in justice. By the conclusion of morning of November 1st, no one would be alive. And that would be just before the holy and righteous creator. You say, I don't like it. What's, what's wrong with you? you you're, your thinking is so skewed. And what you have to look around it, you should see the goodness of God that is ever. This is the creator. The one who spoke it and the universe came into existence. He is the one who determines just. And know what he does? He does it perfect and he does it right. And that same God has chosen goodness, grace, and mercy. Long-suffering, forbearance. We're so used to mercy, so used to grace, so used to goodness, that when justice occurs, we claim it's unfair. We have despised the goodness of God. 
We have undervalued the goodness of God in our life. Now, let's go back to Ecclesiastes really quick. I need to be done here. I need to be done really quick. I'm just going to have to give these two. I'm not going to be able to finish this message. I'm going to have to give these two out. We have a lot going on today. But turn back here. This will also be helped you. Please follow me. I, I need to give this, though, before we go. I want you to look at verse 15, and then I want to touch on something in 16 and 17, because he brings up continued more great advice, not only in regards to injustice, but in, other, in a couple other areas here. He wants you to think on that will help you when these events that discourage you, these events that occur, what we see taking place. Verse 15, he says this, Then I commend mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry for all that... For for that shall abide with him of his labor all the days of his life, which God hath given him under the sun. What he's saying here is this. One, when these different events that appear to be injustice and all this that is taking place and the difficulties, stay focused on eternity. And then he says, and don't forget basically the goodness of God that you have, the blessings. The blessings that you have. You can get so caught up in what you don't have You lose sight of the blessings you have. And he's saying, yes, think on eternity, but don't forget the blessings you do have. Those of you right now with health. I am so thankful. Man, that I I can stand up here and preach. I have no pain. None. I'm not sitting here in pain every week. I have no pain. I'm thankful for that. That's God's goodness. That's all it is. It's God's goodness. I'm thankful for the blessings that I have in my life, for, for, for my children, for the life, for, for, for family. He says, don't forget the blessings you do have. And he makes a point. He said, by the way, I like how he puts it. He says this. This is important too. He said, enjoy those blessings. Enjoy them. You don't have to walk around like an Eeyore. Enjoy the blessings. Last thing, I need to, and, and we're done. This is so important. I need to get this. Look at 16 and 17. This helps me a lot. When I applied unto my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night see asleep of his eyes. But let, let, me, let me read that without the parentheses. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Let me just stop right there. He says, you also have to consider, he said, here's some more advice for you. Not only do you need to consider eternity, the end of all things. Not, not only do you, do you need to... Uh, um, Stay, stay that focused on God, considering God's blessings, but you also need to consider this. You have limited understanding. God does not. Our understanding, he says, he, I don't care how much, how diligent you are to try and seek this thing out, you're not going to. You have limited understanding. We need to accept what we cannot know or what we cannot change. This is the wisest man outside the Lord Jesus Christ who has ever lived.
And now he tells us, I realize there's so much that I don't know. And I gotta, I, and I gotta know that. I know God is the one with the, all the wisdom, not me. God is the one with perfect understanding. Again, there are times we don't understand things. We cannot know things. We have to be careful that that doesn't lead to discouragement and change of the direction of our life. To accept by faith, knowing God does know. Remembering principles like Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed, that he tells us, good. So be it. Other than that, you trust in the sovereignty of God. There's things we can't understand. I, I, I don't understand. I mean, remember in New Guinea, we got New Guinea and, and all the different trials we went through in those first, especially in the first year. And, and telling God many times in prayer, God, I don't, I, I don't get this. I don't agree. I don't understand this. You just had to trust him. Lord, you know. And again, I don't have time to go, but there was times when God made it so clear exactly why. And I would have found out in heaven regardless. God has perfect understanding. I don't. What I know is that he is just, that he is right, that he is full of mercy, that he is full of goodness. And I just got to trust that even in my limited understanding when I don't get it. So that doesn't change the course of my life. You trust him. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Workers, yes, you are. If you are helping, please. Now, at this time, I want you to be dismissed over to the gymnasium. Let me give just a second before I talk more as, as, as all these workers for the best carnival begin to head over. Now, <clears throat> let me start with this right here. Let me start with this. Matter of fact, look, look up at me just, just a second. All the workers are gone. It will only be a minute here. Once you look up at me. Once you think about this question as we go into this final time just to give you a chance to respond. If you need to come and pray, we want you to be able to do that. But if you were to die right now, where would you go? When your soul leaves your body, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? Because that's what death is. Death is the moment your soul leaves your body. That's when you're dead. When that soul departs, and it is either going to be with the Lord, or it's going straight to a place of judgment. One of two. Do you know where you're going? The truth is, the Bible describes perfectly for us what is going to happen. It's one of the great reasons we have the Word of God. Is that when you die, the Bible tells us after this, a day of judgment is coming. You will stand before the Creator, God Almighty, and He will judge you. You're not escaping that. And we, and we know what he's going to He's going to use his law when he judges you. Romans chapter 2. And you're guilty. You've broken it. You're guilty of breaking God's law. And 100% of those found guilty are cast into a lake of fire. Every single one. So get this. You're going to die. Judgment day is coming. You are guilty. And every single person guilty is cast into a lake of fire. So now let me ask the question. Where are you going when you die? You see... This is why God became a man, to save you from that judgment. God became a man 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is God in the flesh. And know what he did? He lived the perfect life. So, so what does that mean? So get this. As a man, you now have one person, one person, who could stand at judgment day, and the Father could say, you're innocent. I find no fault. This is where it gets really good. 
he lived that perfect life for you. We sin coming down from Adam because we have a sin nature coming all the way from him. Many were made sinners, as it says in Romans chapter 5, because of the sinfulness of one, Adam. So, by the obedience of one, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. You see, when he went to that cross, when he died for you, what happened there was most important. He took upon you all of your sin. What that means is this. is that we say he died for you, that on that cross, God imputed unto him, put on him your sin as if he was the liar, the idolater, the adulterer, uh, uh, the coveter, the, 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 the blasphemer, as if he was the one that did all those actions. And then at the same time, he gives you his perfect life. It says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, that death on the cross, know what it satisfied? Justice. Justice. And if you'll come to him in repentance and faith, trusting in what he did for you, he'll save you right there. It is a gift. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed. So let me start right there. Is there anyone here, say, Pastor, I'm not certain when I die what is going to happen to me. I hear you. I'm not certain. I just want you to pray for me. Listen, I won't call you out right now. I won't do that. You say, yes, that's me. I don't know what's going to happen. Or I'm I'm concerned I would go to hell. Either of those. Would you just raise your hand where I could see it, where I can pray for you? Anybody here like that? Now just raise your hand where I could see it. Yes. See some small children. John. Anybody else? If you did put your hand up, I missed it. I would need you to do it again. All right, Christian. There are times life can throw us, throw things at us. And it can change our perception from what is true. What I tried to give today was some advice for life. To consider the end. Don't be a demon. Consider the end. Stay focused on eternity. And oh, how often we despise the goodness of God in our life. If you need to come and pray this morning, come pray. Father, heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Page 294. If you need to come and pray, you come and pray.